0: Welcome to the Premium Property Podcast. Created by two
1: beginners, it is the perfect listen
0: for those of you who are just finding your feet in the property
1: industry. We will ask questions that other beginners just like us have been waiting to hear and we will be learning along with you. I'm Harley and I'm Guy and this is the Premium Property
0: Podcast. Hi Adam, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on and we think sort of what you're doing with sourcing and obviously working on your own projects. It's really, really great role model for us and I'm sure you'll um, provide a lot of value for our listeners as well. So yeah, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me, Harley and Guy. Thanks very much.
0: Perfect. Yeah, so so for those who maybe aren't sure what you do or a bit about your background, yeah, would you just be able to tell us
2: a bit about yourself and what you did before property and what you're doing now yeah sure um so yeah my name's adam um i'm a property investor and property sourcer uh and i yeah so i started out as um before doing this i was an electrician and i was working in london so mostly central london uh doing uh mostly commercial work really um so it was the bigger buildings um in london which is good fun um actually before that i used to Um, train horses which uh, most people don't know but um, yeah so I used to do that um, and also did a bit of um, like riding school instruction as well which uh, actually looking back probably prepared me quite well for property um, in a few ways uh, because you've never felt pressure than the the eyes of a parent watching over you as you're trying to teach their kid to ride a horse it's definitely definitely a bit stressful but (laughs) yeah so yeah yeah, um,
0: obviously with your electrician background then obviously that probably applies quite well to property so um did you w- with your first few projects did you sort of bring that skill set in and do the work yourself um and yeah how did it sort of transfer over to property
2: so i didn't really i didn't do any of the work myself um because i was living in london and investing in teesside which is that like northeast england um specifically sort of middlesbrough as targeting um so yeah doing the work just didn't really make sense because i was i was earning a decent amount in london so i might as well keep working in london and pay someone up there to do the work um, also i'd have to get all tools and stuff like that so no i didn't do i didn't do that um, and also i kind of wanted to set up the business as i meant to go on because in the long term i never planned to do work myself um, i was trying to get out of doing that so <laughs> uh yeah no, i got got build teams in to to do it um, but yeah, it, was, it, it did come in handy though, certainly for like pricing things up. And I didn't realize how much I knew about houses really until I started doing the refurb, well, started watching the refurbs and, and started actually like, looking into how a house went together. Um, in my head, it was always just like, I know how to see electrics, but that's it. But then when you're around the trades and stuff all day, every day you do just sort of without really realizing it, just pick up what they do and what order things going and stuff like that. So I think it definitely helped. Um, in terms of costs, though, I still have no idea, <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> didn't know what other people were tra- charging. So, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Our benefits.
0: Yeah, I guess it, like you said, just helped you learn what different trades do and the order things going. So, yeah, um, that's a great point. So, in terms of your first deal then, um, would you be able to just talk us through how you got it, um, what the struggles were with it, and I guess obviously investing obviously you invested in Teesside and you live in London so yeah how did you sort of manage it all being that far away?
2: Um, So yeah the biggest struggle was finding it (laughs) (laughs) we were were viewing how we were going up and down um, every week pretty much I was taking a day off work and I wanted to do it in a weekday really because that's where most of the agents were working and and they were open for longer whereas if you could do it on the weekend often you only have sort of until 12 midday or something like that um so that was that was the biggest struggle we probably yeah we had about 70 offers out by the time we finally got our first one accepted um and in terms of viewings it's, it was probably around 100. um so yeah finding it was the hardest thing but um so this deal was actually post auction um it hadn't sold and i knew that so the guide price that it was at, at the moment worked quite well um so if I could get it for that sort of region, then I would I thought, yeah, this is probably a goer. Um and uh and yeah, we managed to we managed to secure it for the actual guide price. Um got the yeah, did the legal pack, got that checked. Um I had funding in place in terms of um like angel finance. I'd already sort of been prepping people about what I wanted to do and and uh and I knew sort of what roughly how much I had. Uh, so this was partly funded by my parents and someone else as well. Um and uh, yeah, and it, it went reasonably well. Um, the building, the build team took ages and uh, in hindsight, like would have done that a bit differently. But um, it, yeah, we managed to get quite a good refinance on that one. So we bought it for 35,000, um, spent 20, um, including some fees and stuff like that. And we refinanced it for 75,000. So that's a mortgage of 56,250. Um, <laughs> so that's yeah. So all of our money came back out um yeah so that was, that was pretty good but we did actually make a classic auction mistake in terms of not getting a survey and it was a non-standard construction so if it had been a really weird type of non-standard construction we wouldn't have got a mortgage but luckily it was fairly ordinary and um yeah so all's well but um yeah so definitely some big landings in that one
0: yeah yeah definitely and i guess this everyone sort of learns the most on their first deal don't they because that's when you, you're really new to it and it's like you said it's your first time for everything so yeah obviously you mentioned the um the build team and they're a bit bit slow so um if you could sort of go back and do it again how would you have changed it so you i guess recruited the right build team and yeah what was it that went wrong specifically
2: yeah so um this is, this is quite a hard question, I think, uh, or a hard thing to get right anyway. And I, it's probably not really an, an obvious answer because it's, it is, you have to just, you know, gamble a little bit. Um, but there's certainly, there's definitely things you can do that we didn't do. So I would have probably got more quotes to begin with. Um, we got one recommendation. I hadn't got any sort of contacts in Middlesbrough at all. So one recommendation for a build team. Um, and I went with them. We met them on site. They, they gave us quote. it seemed a bit high to me, but I thought you know i don't really have anything to compare it to so that's fine what i should have done is asked to see other projects that they'd had going on or completed um but i didn't do that um and also uh, i probably should have got some more quotes to, to actually like gauge what the refurb should cost um and they actually did a good job and the standard was a good finish and i was happy with it. um there was quite a lot of snagging but they would they did it all but the main problem was it took ages, and, um, and I was quite naive in terms of knowing how much there should be on site. So that's something if I could have gone back in time uh, or told myself to, what to do, it would have been you know, if if you go up and and I'm still going up every week, if you go up and repeatedly there's no one on site, that is a problem. Um, no matter how many excuses they give you, if there's never anyone there, that's an issue. Um, so yeah, it just wasn't moving quick enough, um, and and that came and I learned a lot from it. And I learned after that how long things should take and i now know that the refurb was was too slow um so i suppose in terms of like how you can counter that is maybe you know, get advice from other people in terms of how long things should take because i didn't really do that so speak to other investors other you know if you've got builders that a family or even if they're not in the same area they'll be able to advise you um, and that would have yeah i think that would have helped a lot so probably seek more advice really
0: yeah yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think refurbs are like the one thing which there's probably the the hardest part of property and they're actually the hardest part to learn about as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of things can go wrong with them, like you said, and it's hard to even experience people make mistakes with
2: recruiting builders and stuff. So, yeah, um, I think I think you're right, especially in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot to know because. Yeah, I think it's important to respect these tradesmen as well. And, uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, they have a lot of a, a quite a bad name in the industry. But there's actually some wonderful builders out there that you can work with long term, they'll do a brilliant job. Um, and it is definitely a skill. And if you can get a good build team, it will make your business explode. Um, so I think, yeah, if people aren't respecting them, then that will show. And I think people, the builders will pick up on that. Um, because you know, it takes you know for, for, i know from my point of view being an electrician it takes a long time to become qualified as an electrician and it's actually quite hard to 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 do it and a lot of you know there's a lot of electricians that never even become qualified because it is difficult um there's a lot of things you've got to go through and the same for you know plumbing and all the different types of trades so yeah i, I think definitely um they I, I think they get a bad name but there are some really great guys out there so yeah just want to pop that in
0: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i think it's like most things in the property industry really because like the few bad people give the whole industry a, a bad name like with sourcing for example that's got quite a bad reputation even mortgage brokers have a bad reputation and even agents because there is bad um bad companies in those different mm. sectors and they just give the whole sector a bad name but yeah like you said it's about finding the right ones um Mm -hmm. and with builders yeah it's more sort of yeah just working with them and obviously communicating and making sure you're on the same page rather than sort of acting like you're above them or more important than them and that's probably when the problems will will start to show
2: yeah definitely i think being humble in life is is always good so i definitely agree with what you're saying there for sure
0: yeah yeah definitely so obviously you mentioned um sort of asking other other investors about what how long things take and stuff so obviously it's probably hard to give a a vague um estimate or explanation Mm -hmm. so how long would you say so say for like a, a two to three bed terrace just like a a full refurb how long would you say that
2: typically takes uh for like a full refurb if you're doing heating system and and electrics and um i guess windows and stuff like that i'd say like to, to do it in 12 weeks would be a good thing to aim for um there, there is quite a lot involved and it also depends on what time of year you're doing it as well because you know if you start something about now and you're plastering plastering takes so long to dry or the plaster does so but whereas if you do it on the hottest day in the summer it's going to you know probably take a week off or something like that so um there are a lot of factors but i'd say you know 12 weeks sort of three months is, is quite a good um time scale to aim for and i for certainly for sourcing i sort of aim, certainly aim for me um and my clients so i'll aim to once you bought the property have it tenanted after three months so we we'll are aim to start marketing a bit early so as soon as that refills finished a tenant will move in and obviously it, that doesn't always work out but generally we can we can hit that um it the the, the thing that sometimes doesn't is the the fact that if a tenant ha- is already in a contract or something like that and then maybe they can't move in straight away but um yeah i think if you can if you can do it a full refurb and get the tenant ready to move in after three months it's pretty good going and it's yeah. definitely something to aim for
0: yeah yeah definitely and do you make do you so when you're sourcing do you sort of use that time scale as like a, a measurable target to hit? Or if the refurb wasn't as as big as a full refurb, would you reduce that target? Or do you just sort of work off the
2: worst case? Um, I, well, yeah, yeah, I I, I guess that like, generally I like to um, under-promise and over-deliver. Is it that way around? Yeah, uh, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> way around it is. I like to, um, you know, I if, if the refurb's gonna be, um, you know, 15K, I'll maybe say 16 just because I, I always like to come under budget Um so yeah time wise I probably if it was a, a really sort of small refurb then maybe I might reduce it a bit but I, th- I think um three months is still quite a good time to, to aim for and you know with like bridging costs or angel investment or whatever funds they, they might have to, or interest they might have to pay it's not gonna rack up too much over three months um, so yeah i think i think that's pretty good timescale, three months and it gives you a bit of uh leeway as well um if it's a, a massive refurb then yeah I'd, I'd probably be saying you know we aim for three but you know budget for four because the tenant might not move in straight away so i think it's just being open and honest and um you know delivering what you've done in the past i suppose and trying to replicate that
0: yeah yeah definitely and i, I guess it's yeah it's like you said just being honest and speaking with your investors and making sure you're on the same page and just communicating with them throughout the whole process, really. So, yeah. Um, In terms of, so say if someone was a sourcer and they're looking to do their first deal, what would you say are the most important things to, to get
2: right from the start? So I would say in terms of, um, so if, you, if you're looking to source a deal um, uh, as, a, as a sourcing agent, you know, someone's going to pay you quite a big fee to find that deal. And and I think they're not just paying, in my opinion, they're not just paying for the the deal itself. They're paying for your your knowledge of the area. I think you have to know that inside out. Um, you've got to know it, every street and and what kind of tenants are going to move in and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's really important to know your numbers as well, because it, every investor seems to have a different way of working out what you know, what they, what they want from a house. And you have to know terms like, um, some people talk about return on investment, some re- return on cash employed and some return on cash left in and stuff like that. And to be honest, there are much of a muchness. Um, but I think it's just being really comfortable and, and knowing your numbers and being fluid and being able to understand what people want. Um, so, and that's something that you can do straight away. You know, you can just practice working out numbers on a deal and speaking to investors and working out how they calculate it and stuff like that. Um, I'd say contacts are another massive thing uh, for a sourcing agent. Like you should have, um, you know, a decent sort of power team, I guess, in the area. Um, a good sort of good set of builders, good letting agents, uh, maybe a handyman and uh, surveyor and stuff like that um, to to help you out. And then uh, obviously compliance as well is a is a big thing. But what I would say with that is, um, if you're just starting out. Um, for anyone who's just starting outsourcing i i'd say i wouldn't jump into getting registered straight away um and i'm not saying source without being registered i'm saying um go and spend your time finding deals and learning about what you want to do um and then if you find a deal maybe team up with a, a local source in your area or something like that and then as soon as you've got like a few deals coming in then get registered and, and so you're getting the full fee and, and start looking for investors but um i think there's a lot to be said for like leveraging other databases and it's probably something i should have done earlier as well
1: yeah definitely and i think um i think that's a good point about being registered because again it's quite it's, it's quite an expensive process and if you was to essentially pay for that whole year i'm not sure how much it is off the bat it's around a thousand pounds and if you was to not source for the first five months then half of that is just gone but um but yeah i mean i i completely understand and moving on to almost the deal and the investor then so obviously every source is different but what do you prioritize do you prioritize um the investor first or would you prioritize finding the deal first
2: um i guess sort of slightly following on from what i said earlier is uh well actually to be honest you need to both (laughs) the honest answer is you have to do both at the same time if you want a, a business um i think starting out And what I I say to any of my coaching clients that want to do sourcing is spend your time looking for deals um, because that's the thing that is going to make you money. Um, Get out the area, learn your, learn your area, make relationships with estate agents and letting agents and stuff like that. Um, And, and really just, because the thing is um, obviously there's, you know, every investor wants something different. Um, But I think you can, you can be quite safe in sourcing the sort of BRR type, type deals. I think that's the most common thing people want. And if you can find deals with less than 10,000 pounds left in roughly, um, as yeah, as a a sort of rough guide that generally will sell. Um, so you're, I think it's brilliant to have a huge investor database, but if you haven't got any deals coming in, then you're not going to make any money. So the thing that you probably should focus on to start with is is deals. That's my opinion. But what do you guys think?
1: Yeah. I mean, we think it's kind of just as important, like, like you're saying equally as important because again, if you've got all the investors, you've vetted them all, but you've not got any deals coming in, then the investors are just going to look elsewhere, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's really, really important. And would you almost, so for someone just beginning then, would you say if you've found a deal, don't necessarily worry too much about the investor, but partner up with another sourcer
2: if you're just beginning out? I'd say so because you can learn a lot from the sourcer as well. Um, You can also potentially use their power teams and um, maybe even their relationships of estate agents, if they're they're that good that you can say, you know, I'm working with Um, so-and-so. I'm a big advocate for teaming up and it's something that I think Mm. for me, I should have done earlier um, because, you know, if you're getting, I don't know, if, if you're managing to source say four properties a month, but you're only getting half the fee, it's better to do that than, than just source one a month and you do all the work um you know if you're just getting three grand for each one then six grand plus three grand um it's even better to source three than two uh, than one so um i think there's yeah there's a lot to be said for it um so yeah I, I, I'd, I'd do that <laughs> yeah
1: definitely and um so kind of moving from the investor type to the actual deal then in the in the same area but do you focus more off market or on market? So do you again, specialise when it comes to agents or do you prioritise direct vendor? Or again, is it just like agents and, or sorry, do you prioritise them both as like they're equally important?
2: Uh, I, I do think they're both important. Um, I'd, I'd say that, you know, I've got some of my best deals have been through estate agents. Um, so I, I definitely think they're both important. Um, in terms of, you know, what one do I focus on more? Um, I think that's market driven in a way um so i guess the first first year or so I, I found it a bit easier to get deals for estate agents um and there was it wasn't so competitive however if you take the last um the last like six months for example where it's been crazy and you know things have been fly, flying off the shelf um through estate agents and stuff like that i i think it's better to go to direct to vendor in those scenarios and the, the funny thing about this market that i've personally found is that any property on with an agent is um the vendors seem to know that it's a hot market and you know they're they're, a bit, they're holding out for over over asking price and stuff like that however if you speak to vendors off the market who aren't in that bubble they don't realize that it's like that and um they think like the world's going to end obviously <laughs> like the economy is going to crash and they'll just take whatever they want so i think it's kind of a well, it's definitely a unique scenario uh, scenario, and, and, you know, the 2020 world is probably unprecedented. So um, it's, it's definitely a, a weird time, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think in a proper boom, everyone seems to know that the house is worth loads. <laughs> um, so yeah, I try and do both really, but I'd say our business is probably like 60, 40 off market. In general. Okay, yeah,
1: and I, I mean, you touched on a good point in the fact that it kind of varies when it comes to market because like like you're saying with agents, um, the market at the moment is just crazy. So on the topic of that then, where do you see the the market in the next six to 12 months, for example, because do you think the, do you think it can still stay, stay strong mm-hmm. over the next year or are you expecting some sort of a uh, dip? Uh,
2: uh, Ask me to look into ball. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that, so I can talk about my area, my personal area, the Northeast. Um, I don't think that's going to change an awful lot. Uh, we're already looking at prices at the moment sort of below 100 grand. So if there was, um you know, a five percent dip or something like that, it's five grand. It's not going to break a deal. Um, I suppose, it, obviously, in other areas, that's going to that's going to be a bigger impact, and it's all, I guess, going to depend on unemployment levels and stuff like that. um I, What I would say is though, I think we're we're coming from a position of strength now, whereas we've had. To, the market grow um, and an incredibly fast rate over the last six months. Um, so if it does drop, um, say we've gone up five percent and it drops eight percent, it's it's actually only like a three percent drop overall. Um, so I think you can also see it coming as well. You know, recessions generally they're not they don't happen. You don't wake up in the morning and your house has dropped by twenty k. Um, it doesn't doesn't generally happen like that, and it won't happen. And I don't think it will happen this time anyway. For, because unemployment levels will slowly drop and you'll see that there's going to be a lot of obvious signs to know that, you know, the market could be changing and then you can adapt your strategy accordingly. If you need to refinance quickly to get the money back out, um, maybe, maybe do that or, you know, sell if you, if you, if you think there's going to be a a big downturn, but I think over the long term probably is quite forgiving. So as long as you're happy to wait, it'll be fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, um, do you think that kind of will determine your, marketing strategy when it comes to finding the deals. So obviously like we were just saying off market or on market, if you think the, the market's still going to stay strong, do you think you would focus more on the direct to vendor side of things?
2: Um, yeah, good question. guy. I think I think definitely, folk, all the while the market's strong, you you wanna sort of stay clear of state agencies, well not stay clear, but don't rely on them because they don't need you. The state agents will come to you when they're, when the market's very slow and no one's viewing any houses. And that's when they you'll become a lot more valuable to them. But all the while they've got buyers coming in paying the asking price. Like, why would they? They don't, they don't need you. And um, and I think you know, think of it from their point of view. It's they they get a percentage of a commission as well. If they're going to get more for the property, you can't really blame them um, for like for, you know not not using it. And also, it's their job to get the most for the vendor. So yeah. To, so to sum up, yeah, I agree. You, you need to look. You need to look off off market when the markets like that. Um, and you know, there's lots of different strategies you can do to, to help with that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, like like you're just saying, it's almost about just adapting to the market and whatnot. So, in terms of actually building up relationships with agents, then um, how have you gone about that? Do you how do you go about ringing them up? Do you have a set schedule on when you're going to re-ring them up? If that makes sense.
2: Um, I so I have a, a database of all the properties that I've. Um, got offers out with and stuff that I want to view and, um, and that's sorted by agent. so if I have a property that I want to view and I call them up every time I do that I will go through the offers that, that I have with them um, and ask them to resubmit them and stuff like that so I don't have a set sort of like two week or you know monthly alarm that, that I would that I'd follow but I try and be fairly consistent and so last, last year I lived in the area and that helped push everything on a lot quicker and that was a good chance to make a lot of relationships with, with agents. And instead of ringing up on the phone, I try and go in sort of every couple of weeks and just have a catch up, show that I'm still looking and, um and, and yeah, probably resubmit my for then and just find out a bit more, you know, mm. what the vendor's looking for. Um But the best way to do that is to do that out on viewings. So I've got a few, few agents that I work with that if I can, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but they, they will just look up what's what the offers have been put in so far and tell me and then I can either go a bit higher or they'll you know they'll read the notes and find out what they'll accept. Um definitely won't say who they are. But um, you know, the more you the more you can build that rapport with them, the more likely that they're gonna help you out. Um and uh and yeah, you, obviously if you wanna get them a box of chocolates and stuff like that, that's not gonna harm your relationship. maybe a good a good thing to do at Christmas time just whip round and say you know especially if you're if you if you're sort of like learning a new area just be like, look, we're looking to invest here just that we come in and introduce ourselves um probably quite a good good thing to do um but do you want to know the best way to build relationships with agents yeah
1: mm-hmm.
2: buy a property <laughs> they love no, it when so you buy yeah. A property
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah the, exactly. that's the best one really
1: <laughs> yeah definitely and um, i mean like like you, you were just saying that it's just those small those small things that um whether it's going in to check upon them, actually going face to face, because like like you're saying, I think going in face to face beats being on the phone, regardless. And mm-hmm. if you're doing small things such as bring them in chocolates, I think it's like again small things like that that can help build up the rapport with them. So, in terms of actually building the relationships, so I know we just touched upon it a, a bit, and you kind of mentioned it, but do you think it's more important to build the relationships? whilst you're actually doing stuff with them whether that's viewings meeting them in person rather than just randomly ringing them on the phone seeing if anything new's come to market
2: um yeah definitely so um agents have targets to hit as well which i, I don't know if everyone um is aware of that because i wasn't to begin with but they've got and they're not just sales targets they have um like viewings targets and offers targets and stuff like that so if an agent sort of calls you up and and says like we've got a property um would you like to view it i would just always say yes straight away um because it helps them out and monday morning the boss will come around and find out what their targets have been and that's when i don't know if you guys have noticed but that's when the, ring, the phone rings the most it's sort of monday afternoon and they've just been told off and uh they've you know they've, they've got up their viewing figures and stuff like that so um with that in mind you know it's good to it's good to sort of help them out and if they want you to view a property property go and go and do it really because it's it's all you never know what will come from it as well especially if it gets them out of the office and you can have a chat with them and stuff that's uh yeah what 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 tactics do you guys use in terms of you know building relationships and stuff
0: yeah i think it is better to just be face to face with them and actually show that you're active in the area um viewing properties because obviously you, pro- you may not offer on every property that you view but especially when you're first starting out i think it's so important to go for volume rather than quality of viewings because yeah you you'll build up those relationships for the long term you actually put a face to the name rather than just speaking on the phone and you there's so many benefits to it you obviously learn about the areas as you're viewing um and you you learn how, what to actually look for on viewings and we learned something new Pretty much every viewing that we do, because obviously we're, we're in the early stages now. So, yeah, I think obviously ringing them up, you can build an, an all right relationship, but they probably won't re- remember you as well as if you put a face to the name. So, yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I've, actually, that's funny, funny you sort of said that as well, because my first sourcing deal came from viewing a property that I, it was sort of done up. And, it, and when they said you want to view it, I was like, oh, not really. But, um, but I said yes, and then uh, when I went to view it, it was actually the the land. It was a ex rental property, and it was all, it was okay inside. Um, but I met the landlord there, and uh, he said he's got he's actually selling four others, um, all through um, this well all off market. And uh, so I was oh can I look at those as well then? And uh, so my first actual sourcing deal was sourcing a portfolio of four houses, um, all which all stemmed from viewing a property that I wasn't really that interested in. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like, it was a, it was definitely a good lesson for me to be like, l- let's just go and look at everything. Cause you never know what can happen from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, you, n- you never really know what, what could happen. Um, and if, if the agent has got targets, like you said, um, you'll just be helping them out, even if you're not necessarily buying a property. So yeah, in terms of, um, obviously like in terms of do you just view sort of any property that needs refurbishing or do you so say if it was on for I don't know 90,000 um but in order to make it work you'd have to put in an offer of fifty, sixty thousand. 60,000 would you still go and view that or would you just completely disregard that
2: um yeah probably um I know it's like Uh, less so now but when i moved up to the area um and uh it was easier for me to i would definitely go and view that because even if you don't get the offer accepted straight away um or if you don't get it accepted at all but you know even, even if they turn it down it's in your database then and and if it's that overpriced um chances are it will sort of begin to fall and and then your offer if it comes down to 80 your offer looks a bit better if it comes back to, down to sort of 75 70 then your offer looks even better so yeah i would i mean it's i used the. <laughs> I, I sort of used the um purchase price uh, sorry the, the asking price as a guide to know how awkward the conversation is going to be rather than um <laughs> knowing you know what what they're going to accept um so I, I to be honest i very rarely look at the the asking price anymore i just look at the area and and then I'll put my offer in. Um, Sometimes if I'm, you know, like, if I'm 50 grand off and I'm I'm offering half the price, then I might say, look, this isn't, I can't offer because I'm too low, um, which generally is followed up by how much would you offer if you did offer? And then I tell them, and then I'll get a horrified shock and I'll say, well, that's what I wasn't gonna offer. So then, you know, the offer's out there and you haven't really insulted anyone. Um, so th- I guess that's another way to go about it but I know what you mean, it, is, it does seem a bit time consuming and a bit annoying and I guess if you're, if, if it's a long way to drive to the area or whatever you, it is quite easy to disregard those but I think if you're not going to view it, it's important to log it in some way uh, in a, in your systems or database or something so you can keep an eye on it and see if the price does drop
0: Yeah, yeah definitely and I think uh, yeah obviously like wait it may be considered a waste of time but I think when you are just starting out it's it's there's probably not a lot more that you could be doing than getting out there and viewing properties so yeah I think um yeah that's just a really good point and obviously you never really know what the vendor situation is and how if it's been sitting on the market for a few months you could always um just be that one person where they go oh you know what i I've had enough and I'm just going to accept this offer so yeah um I think it is so important to to just sort of especially when you're starting out maybe you can be a bit more picky when you've done a few a number of deals and you've built the relationships but at first I think it is important to just view yeah I think yeah I think you
2: hit the nail on the head there Harley um with saying that you don't know what the vendor situation is because you know they they could have just had a final notice mortgage payment letter through the door or something like that and then you view it and then you offer and they think okay we have to take it um i mean that's a bit of a a bleak scenario but you know think circumstances change all the time and 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 like you say if it's hanging around for a bit um and they haven't you know the agent's not being proactive and asking them if they want to reduce it they might not even know that that's an option that they want to put it on for less um so yeah i i mean i'm a big advocate of just getting out there and and speaking to people and and, uh, and even on these houses you know you might learn something about a refurb or um, you know you could show up and there could be a builder there and you could cheekily ask them a few questions on what they would do with the property or something like that um, so it's just you know another another contact
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah so um, obviously we mentioned sort of working out what the vendor's situation is so with that do you when you're on the and with the agent do you focus more on Trying to get to the the bottom of what the situation is, and essentially just sort of probing at that, or would you focus more on actually just asking normal questions to the agent, like just building a relationship with them more than anything? Um,
2: yeah, I think I think ag- relationships with the agents are the most important thing. Um, when I started out, someone advised me to to spend if it was like half an hour viewing. You spend 15 minutes just talking to the agent and sometimes 15 minutes is quite a long time especially if you, it's really hard going and they're not interested but um, I think that's that's quite a good sort of a bit of a rule to go by just spend 15 minutes force yourself to stand in the kitchen with them and talk about the market or the property for that sort of length of time and then the other 15 minutes you can go and view the house and make your notes and stuff like that
0: yeah yeah definitely that's that's a good rule of thumb actually so yeah so oh completely <laughs> mine's gone completely blank um
2: yeah Having So, it, that, i do think i do think it is important to um to to actually probe because the thing is they might actually just let something slip and 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 that can be part of that sort of 15 minutes that you're chatting to them about you know it doesn't have to be all about them you know maybe divide that up again and think like right let's talk try and talk about them for five minutes straight just find out you know have a look at them what they're wearing what car they're driving you know if they've got a new car start talking about that um and try and pick up on little things you know it might seem a bit manipulative but it's it's actually just you know trying to be interested in the other person and and find out and and from that you can then once you've you know built up a bit of a relationship you can then start digging a bit and, and probing and finding out you know is this a you know, deceased estate, or you know, what's the vendor situation? Are they looking to? Do they have a figure that they might budge to? It's been on for a while now. We'll, you know, things like that, and and try and evolve it a bit. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, obviously, when you first start, the agent probably won't. They'll probably be a bit more reluctant to open up and tell you about the vendor. So, you, it's probably more important to focus on asking about them personally and building that relationship, but. Yeah, obviously mm. once you've built that, they're probably it's probably l gonna be a lot easier and a lot less awkward to ask those um I guess more I don't know what the word is Any but questions. Yeah, more more appropriate questions. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, um in terms of obviously you've sourced sort of 20 properties now. So in terms of the the scaling side of your of a sourcing business what would you say is sort of most important when scaling in order to make sure you are still keeping the relationships with the agents keeping your investors on side and yeah making sure everything
2: runs smoothly um i think in in terms of scaling the only way that you can realistically do that is to leverage i mean the best way would be to split yourself in two and then there's two of you but as that's not an option you're gonna have to find other people and um there's lots of ways to leverage other people's skills. And I think um, that comes back to, like I was saying at the beginning about teaming up with a local investor. Um, What's to stop you finding up and coming sourcing agents once you've built a bit of a database and and working with them and, you know, helping them with, um, you know, local contacts and stuff like that. But in the same time, they're on the streets looking for more deals. Um, And I think, uh, uh, yeah, if you look at the big, um, the huge sourcing businesses, they, um they have massive databases and they have people bringing them deals constantly and then they'll put them out to their huge database um it's not really an ambition of mine to to do something like that i don't think um but i think i think you lose that sort of personal touch i guess but if you want a massive you know a massive (laughs) sourcing business you need a massive list of investors really um or a couple of very 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 rich ones because most people's money dries up eventually. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the main thing. Leverage is probably the, the main thing I think to start to start scaling the business.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because obviously, there's there's only so many viewings <clears throat> you can do um as one person. So it's important to yeah make sure you're either working with other sources or you're outsourcing your viewings, and so you can obviously then focus on building the relationships with your investors and um I guess more of the back end side of the deal. So yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. So in terms of sort of outsourcing then, um do you currently outsource anything within your sourcing business? And if so, what would you say are sort of the most important tasks to outsource? Um yeah, so I, I guess I do
2: outsource um I think that there's a few a few things in in sourcing that's quite hard to to outsource, um, and some things you kind of have to do yourself. Um, for me, I always like to personally do due diligence on any property that I, I either if a deal's brought to me or if I um, I found the deal myself. I'm, I'm I want to know you know the ins and outs of that deal. Um, but yeah, I mean I mean when I started, I would do the project management for the um, for all the properties that we'd source for investors. And uh, and yeah, I'd probably maybe I'd get sort of like fifteen hundred quid for that, but that would be so time intensive. I'd stop looking for more deals. So that's something I I then decided to outsource quite quickly, um, and that's worked quite well. And then obviously like letting agents and um, accountants and stuff like that. There's there's quite a lot that you can you can use to generally outsource, um, and also using systems so like Mailchimp and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be someone in the philippines you know you can um you know use just good software that will also make your life a lot easier uh and that's what i'd say i've been focusing on this year especially through lockdown and stuff like that where um it was hard to well it's impossible to go and view houses um for a while that's what i really focused on is trying to systemize anything i could um to make my life easier
0: yeah yeah definitely i think that's one thing that doesn't really get talked about a lot in sourcing is more of the actually running it as a business rather than just cause yeah, I feel it's painted as an easy way to get into property. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't treat it as a business. So yeah, I think having those systems and that automation is so key and it's like you said, the task that is trying to just cut down the tasks that take an hour into half an hour or just automating it completely so you only have to click a button so yeah things like MailChimp Mm. obviously help massively with that so what sort of yeah I guess what sort of systems do you have in place to to automate obviously um sending your deals out and yeah essentially what what systems have you found useful um
2: so Mail, Mailchimp is a good one. Uh, it took me a little while to get on, on board with that for some reason, but um, yeah, it's actually, it's, it's so good. It's so easy. Um, so that's a good one. It's good for managing a database and stuff like that. Uh, I use, for tracking my offers, I use an app called Airtable, um, which on my, uh, I've done a little video about that on my Instagram, um, to that, how it works and stuff like that. So that's really cool, and the reason I like that is from what, when I was talking about earlier about, you know, meeting up with the agents and finding out, you know, what properties you got with them and stuff. It was, uh, it, it's so handy, because you've got a desktop version, obviously, but there's an, there's an app that comes with it. So just before I was walking in, I was just seeing what I had with them, and then I could just straight away ask all those things. Um, and it's also, I keep it quite simple as well, because when I was, when I started out, I was using this, you know, like an Excel spreadsheet with about a hundred columns. And uh, and I just ended up just not filling anything in. So I was losing track of office. So uh, yeah, sort of scaled it back a bit, make, left it quite you know nice and simple. Um, and yeah, th- those two are probably my most used um, sort of like systems and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: I feel like it's, yeah, in order to scale, it's important to keep it simple because yeah, like you said, um, using a spreadsheet and basically trying to put every bit of data in it would just take so long and you, you probably, you won't be able to do that many deals. Whereas um, if you obviously um, keep it simple and use the right systems, then you can grow a lot quicker. So yeah, that's really important. Um, and obviously, like you said, grouping it with the agents just makes it so much easier rather than having to scroll through. And then you'll probably
2: end up ringing the same agent twice when you have done it all in one call exactly yeah and what you said earlier was was really good about making our tasks half hour tasks um and instead of trying trying to outsource and take yourself out of the business immediately you know it's good to just take chunks off each time um and that's a i guess that's a more realistic goal as well um when you're looking at um you know moving yourself it's very hard to do it overnight but if you can just take chunks out each time um eventually you know, it, it, it makes a big difference and suddenly you're, you're not doing an awful lot at all. So, yeah, good point there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, in terms of your... So obviously you mentioned that you um, use Project Manager for your projects now. So in terms of that then, would you say, for a sourcer who's new, would you advise them to project manage from the out, offset or would you say get a project manager in straight away because obviously they're more experienced and the project will probably run a lot smoother.
2: Um, yeah, it depends on the background. Well, it depends on the background, I guess I would, I think, um, if, if they don't have any experience at all in doing a property, probably say don't project manage it because you'll probably do more harm than, than good. <laughs> um, but what, but what you should 100% do is project manage the project manager, um, shadow them, follow them, um, find out what they do, what you know, what the next steps are, um, what needs to happen before the next things can happen. Uh, maybe put, and then you can maybe put together a huge, you know, a big workflow or something like that. Um, and then you know if you, I think it is good to project manage it yourself um, because you can learn loads and also you can make good contacts with individual trades. So you could you know if you get a really good joiner. You could get them to basically project manage it for you because they have trades that they know they have people they know and then without paying them project management fee you can basically just get them to organize it all for you and then you just come in and check if it's all going okay so yeah i think i think if uh i think you probably should get some some uh expertise in if if you don't know anything about property or, or you know buildings um but the way I learned was by doing it on my own first. So I, I project managed a few of mine and um, and then I was able to move on to the next one. And I did exactly that, What I said i just get the tradesmen to bring in their re- own recommendations. Um, I think that's quite a good way to find builders because it, it puts a bit of accountability on them. Because if they're doing a lot of work for you and you say, can you bring in, do you know a plumber? And they bring a plumber and they're dreadful, they're, that's gonna look really bad on them. So they're gonna stop getting work for you. So um, yeah maybe maybe a good thing to do that for that as well
0: yeah definitely yeah i think like what you mentioned about getting the experience is so key because um a lot of people would probably just sort of rush into project managing um when they don't necessarily have the experience whereas it would just be better to outsource it to a project manager or even let the investor project manage it themselves and you just sort of oversee it and learn that way Um, so and because it wouldn't really be right to charge a fee for something that you don't have experience or expertise in um, because yeah you wouldn't be providing the service that you've said really so
2: so yeah yeah a good project manager should save their fee on the overall budget um that that's that's my opinion on that because otherwise like what's the point in having them you might as well just do it yourself if they're not going to save you money um so they might save you a bit of time but if you know if that's that's what i think i think their that fee should sort of be in the in the, the refurb pretty much yeah
0: yeah definitely yeah so um moving towards the sort of end of the the podcast then if you could go back and give your younger self
2: free top tips what would they be um <laughs> I would say, uh, first of all, put your, make sure you put deals out there um, and put, you know, offers accepted, get it out there and and be a bit brave because I, one of my first, uh, when I first started sourcing, I I got an offer accepted that um, I thought was quite a good deal um, and I didn't really have a very big sort of list of investors at that point. Um, or I hadn't done what you guys did, which is brilliant and create a big social media following, um, get a good brand behind you. And you've also, you guys have done so well because people can go back and look and see you've been, you've been learning and learning and educating yourself for so long, speaking to, um, you know, any, anyone you can really, it's brilliant. You know, if, if they're, I don't know why you got me on, but (laughs) you know, you go, you go find people who are, who are doing well and they've done what you want to do and you talk to them and find out how they've done it. And, um, and that is so clever to do that because you, you just get so many good, you know, good tips and stuff. And, I've, you know, so I was listening to one um, of yours recently with Sam, um, Sam Dyer, and he, that, that was just like nuggets, gold nuggets in that throughout the whole podcast. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yeah, basically, going back to what I was saying, is I, I, I got the software accepted and uh, put it out there. didn't have a very big list um, of investors, didn't manage to source it um and had to go back to the agent tell between my legs say, so sorry i i haven't been able to do that one um but nothing happened from me it. it didn't matter um you know after that i was a bit nervous about getting offers accepted above a certain level because i thought it's not quite right for me and no one will want that um whereas once that my database had built up a bit um i was putting these deals out and then going um and it's just because i you know i hadn't got that that proper following and if i'd been able to team up with another sourcing agent at that point, it, pro- it probably would have sold. Um so probably probably a first tip. Um, second one, what we were talking about earlier, take time with choosing a builder. If it takes you know two or three weeks to to pick um, the right builder, it does who cares? Because you know the wrong builder could take like my project took between six and seven months, which should have taken about three months. Um, if we'd taken another even month to to you know interview more builders and find out a bit more then it probably would have saved us a lot of time and money because we're missing rent um and i suppose be realistic with goals as well probably be the last one is um i think it's definitely good to to you know set yourself really challenging goals that's going to make you really work but um i think with property it's important to to understand that property is not get get rich quick it's you, you can get wealthy over time and um you know, to to do, to create a big portfolio that's going to sustain you for the way you want to live. Uh, Unless you have an enormous pot of money that you're happy to leave in deals. Um, If you're going to use investor funds and and find good deals and keep recycling that money, it will take a bit of time. Um, So yeah, set yourself realistic goals really at the end of the year and and think something that, you know, they're not so big that you're just going to give up because it was too hard. Um, Yeah, I suppose that. Are they good tips, are <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, think... there's some,
0: some good tips there. So, um, yeah. So in terms of, obviously, there's some really good tips and especially the, the first one with just sort of, yeah, building your network up because there's so many people who could help you who you don't realise maybe will when you first speak to them. Um, and it is just... Obviously, once you do have that network, you can just put out that you need help with something. And most of the time, someone will be willing to help or they'll know someone who can help. So yeah, I think that's that's really important. And especially for a sourcer, if you do have a deal that maybe isn't, one, and none of your investors want, maybe another sourcer will have an investor that is perfect for. So yeah, it's great to um, keep building that network essentially
2: definitely i'm still doing that now i'm reaching out to other sources now and trying to share databases share deals and stuff like that because i just think together you just grow so much quicker
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah so um finally then is there any shout outs that you want to give to anyone um or just where can we find where can anyone find you
2: um probably should give holly a shout out my partner because she's part of me (laughs) doing this ridiculous journey um (laughs) Yeah, find me on Instagram, Instagram Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, on Instagram, it's Adam Garland Property. Um, yeah, it would be good to connect. And uh, yeah, I've been on Facebook as well if you want. But uh, probably Instagram is the best place to, to get in contact. So yeah, it would be brilliant. good to meet you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well,
0: yeah, it was um, amazing to have you on, Adam. And um, yeah, we really enjoyed it. And yeah, it was really great to chat about sourcing. We are learning a lot, obviously. Is People who are just sort of starting in our sourcing, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will. So, yeah, it's been great to chat, and thanks for coming on.
2: It's been a pleasure having you,
0: Guy. Perfect. Cheers, Adam.